and our good and our blessing. So I'm thankful to be here. Thank, thank, uh, thank you to Mark for allowing me to, to come open up the word. And that's what we want to do this morning. Um, and as we're stepping into the Christmas season, I wanted to talk about that. You know, as a church, our job is to proclaim Jesus Christ, especially during the Christmas season is a great opportunity and the point of the Christmas season to proclaim Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ that is the true gift of the season. And isn't that the obvious message of John 3:16, the, the the verse that we all all know that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is the message that was foretold even before that New Testament passage back in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where the prophet said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is, you know this, given. And you give a gift, right? The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's the gift given to us. That gift is a child that is born. That gift is a son who is given. That gift is a son of man, who is at the same time as we just see in Isaiah 9, the everlasting father. So despite what we tell our kids every year that Christmas isn't about presents, it is about a gift. And it's about receiving a gift. Now, during the Christmas season, you and I both know, our world is consumed with the giving and the receiving of gifts. And most usually, our gifts come in boxes. And that is one of the things that I want to talk about today. Even the, the British people celebrate Boxing Day after Christmas to mark that day the servants receive their, their Christmas boxes. But perhaps your house is kind of like my house, where it feels like you have an Amazon truck that's devoted to your street. Every day, there seems to be some cardboard box that's stacked upon my porch. And with the Christmas season, it's, it's worse that the boxes are stacked upon boxes upon the porch. So we take, think about this, guys. You then take this box inside. It's made of some plant material, usually cardboard. In the past, it was wood. Then you wrap these boxes in more plant material, usually a brightly colored paper with ribbons and bows. But before us, this, this beautiful box that we give, the box itself is not the gift, right? The gift is what's hidden inside of that box. And it's not what's outside of the box. Right? You know from the Amazon guy, well, what is it this time? I don't know. I ordered 10 different things. You want to get in that box and see what it is. Now, we've all seen a child. We have a lot of kids here. We've all seen a child receive a present. And that, that child, when they get that present, they're outside of that box. What do they want? They want to get in that box. Their great desire is to partake of what's inside. And you see them just tear that box open and wrapping paper and cardboard is everywhere, and you as the parent have to go with the bag afterwards and clean it all up, right? Why do they do that? Because the child knows that they want to obtain the gift that's inside of that box. They want to partake of it. They want to play with it. They want to hold it. 
rather than partake of what's outside the box. They don't want to remain there. So one year, I have my, my five daughters with me, uh, and, and we have a lot of eager people throughout the years uh, looking towards Christmas. It was my desire that as my children eagerly held their Christmas boxes, which at that time they contained fading earthly treasures of plastic and batteries, which they would forget about within days. It was my desire that instead their minds would be set upon the eternal heavenly gift of Scripture that is of inestimable, inestimable value that has been given to us by God in Jesus Christ. So one year I had them look at the, the brightly wrapped boxes like the ones behind me under this tree, and I asked them a simple question. Does God's word, does the Bible ever talk about boxes? And this morning, as we head into the holiday season, as the boxes pile up on your porch and underneath your tree, I'm going to ask you the same question for that same purpose. So, God has given innumerable blessings to mankind. But each gift that is given to us is meant for a greater purpose. It's meant to point to the ultimate gift that he has given to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, as we started from the beginning, is the gift of inestimable, that means super valuable, you can't even count it, value that's hidden inside that box. And the word of God, from the beginning, it calls us to partake of the great gift that's inside, rather than to remain outside okay again this is seen throughout scripture but in the vein of our discussion this morning about gifts and about boxes i want to invite you this morning to open up your bibles and we're going to look at some of the gift boxes look in them where we find that we find here in god's word so if you're a kid today you have to remember at least one gift box and i'm assigning your parents to ask you on christmas morning to tell you about a box of the bible okay As we do this, I want us to ask two questions which are on your notes. What's inside the box and what's outside of the box? Very simple. So again, our gifts that we receive and give are usually come in boxes made of wood or some plant material. The Bible has a different name for a box that's made out of wood or some plant material. And it is most often the Hebrew word that is translated ark. Ark. Okay, the first box is found in Genesis chapter six, and it's the most famous ark. You're already thinking about it. It's number one, box number one, the Ark of Noah. So if you turn to Genesis six, you can read there that God told Noah, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. And God went on to give Noah detailed instructions to build what was basically a very, very large wooden box. Now, why did God tell Noah to build a very, very large, big wooden box? Well, God told us why in Genesis 6, verse 17. You can look at it there. He said, Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall Perish. There's that word we just saw in Genesis 3.16. 
Genesis 6 also tells us that our altogether righteous and holy God, he looked and he saw that the earth was corrupt. He saw that the earth was filled with violence. Genesis 6.11 tells us the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So friends, this is the context in which God gives a gift to mankind. God had already given mankind the gift of the revelation of his righteousness, of his holiness. And with that comes another gift, the revelation of our sinfulness. And the warning that God will perfectly and righteously judge everything. But praise God, friends, that that gift came with a box. The gift of God's word that he's going to bring justice and righteous judgment upon a sinful people living in a sinful world came with God's word of salvation from that coming judgment through God's direction for Noah to build this really big box. So Noah obeyed the word of God. We, we can read about that in Hebrews eleven seven. It says this, By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. All right, so remember our two questions we're asking about each box? Let's ask our first one. What was outside of this box? Well, outside of the Ark of Noah, this great big box, we already read about it in Scripture. Outside was a sin-cursed world filled with sin-cursed people who only thought about sin continually. Cursed people who would be at the word of God Righteously judged, perfectly judged for their evil actions, their evil intentions, their evil thoughts. They were all marked for utter and complete destruction. They were a rebellious people on top of that who refused to listen to the gift of God's warning, which came in the form of Noah, who for over 100 years preached as he's building this ark, this huge wooden box, and the people look at it and say, Noah, what are you doing? Why is this going on? Why are you building this huge box? And Noah would tell them of the gift of God's word of warning. Repent of your sin. A judgment is coming. The gift also, though, would be proclaimed of what? The provision of salvation. Why do you think I'm building this big ark? Come, enter the ark. But friends, did anybody listen? No. The watching world refused to enter into the salvation that God had prepared for men who submitted to his word. That is, who received it, heard it, who believed it, and then obeyed it. Outside of the ark was not a good place to be. It was a place of judgment. It was a place of death. It was a place of destruction. But when did that become evident, friends? 
It only became evident to them when the rain started to fall. All right, that's outside the box. Let's ask now what's inside the box. Scripture tells us in Genesis 6, verse 18, where God speaks to Noah. He says, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. So why did God allow Noah to enter into the ark? Because Genesis 6, 8, and 9 tells us very plainly. It says this, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Now, you might be tempted to think here, well, that means Noah was a super good guy. He always did what he was supposed to do. He earned his place on that boat because he obeyed God's word. Look again. When we read Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, all that simply means is that God looked upon Noah with his grace. And it was by God's grace that Noah received the word of God. It was by God's grace that Noah believed the word of God about the coming judgment. And it was by God's grace that Noah obeyed the word of God by picking up that hammer and loading the gopher wood and getting to work. You know what that's called, friends? That's called faith. It was because of that faith that was a gift from God that Noah was declared, accounted a righteous man, just as Abraham many, many, many years later believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So let's summarize what was inside this great big wooden box. Inside was a man who was found favor or grace in the eyes of God and was declared by God to be a righteous man. And don't miss that along with that righteous man, what was there? Well, all that belonged to that righteous man, that righteous man's wife and his sons and his daughter-in-laws. This righteous man was marked for salvation and life by and only through the word of God. So, of course, we also know that God preserved two of every kind of living thing of all flesh. So think about this. In that, inside that box was everything from the ferocious lion to the gentle lamb. And the point is, life was preserved inside of the ark. The point is, death was the sure end of anything outside of the ark. Anything in whose nostrils was the breath of life. So the gift and value of being inside of the ark, that's obvious to us. But again, to those who watched Noah, to those who mocked Noah, to those who didn't listen to Noah as he preached the word and built this great box over 100 years, they could only see the value of being inside of that box after God already shut the door and the rains came down and the floods came up. It was at that point when the wicked were then cut off from that righteous man who had preached God's righteous word that they had ignored. Friends, may your Christmas boxes this year remind you first of that Ark of Noah, that gift of God's word to you of his perfect and righteous judgment that is coming upon sin and upon this world. 
But praise God, he's provided you a way of salvation inside the box. Now let's move on to the next box. Not forgetting what's inside, we're going to talk about it later. Now the next box is much, 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 much smaller. Uh, but it also floated on water. So the next ark we're going to talk about is the Ark of Moses. That's box number two. Moses was a gift from God to his mother and father. He was born at a time when Jewish babies were marked for death. But before Moses was even called Moses, he was just a tiny little baby. He was only three months old, right? And his mother made for him a basket. It had a lid. It was kind of like a little box. It was not a box made out of cardboard, but it was a box made out of plant material, reeds, bulrushes, or wicker. And, she, and Scripture tells us she covered it with tar and pitch so it would be waterproof. And think about this. Then she put her beautiful, precious little three-month-old baby into this basket and just kind of pushed him off into the Nile River. Now, you know what's in the Nile River, right? Right. Watch out for the crocodiles because you're in denial. I say that to my kids. It's a dad joke. Dads, feel free to use it. Why did Moses' mother do such a thing to her precious little child? Well, it was because she and all her people, the Israelites, were under slavery. They were under oppression. They were under the hard affliction of the Egyptian people. And scripture tells us that the Egyptians, quote, made their lives bitter with hard labor. But it also said in Scripture that the more the Egyptians oppressed them, what happened? The more they multiplied. They just kept growing. So the king of Egypt then makes this command, and he says this in, in Exodus, every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. So the command was very clear. You have a baby boy, you take your son, and to cast him into the Nile was essentially to kill your child. Make no mistake. Because first of all, babies can't swim. And second of all, crocodiles eat babies. Moses' mother knew the command. But scripture says something. If you look at the account, it says, she saw that he was beautiful, and she hid him for three months. It's very hard to hide a baby, especially a loud baby. But she did it. And it says when she could hide him no longer, she did obey the king's command. After all, she put him in the Nile, but she did it for the baby's life. She put him in that little wooden ark, that little reed ark, and set him among the reeds of the Nile. So, our two questions. What was outside of that little tiny box? Well, outside of that little ark was water in which a baby would drown. Outside was the Nile River in which all of the other baby boys had been cast and killed. Outside of that little ark were crocodiles that would kill. Outside of that little box was death. Outside was oppression and slavery of God's people in a foreign land by oppressors. That was all outside this little box. Next question. What was inside that? And you know what? That's exactly what Pharaoh's daughter wanted to know, remember? When she went down to the Nile to bathe. Exodus 2.6 describes how she opened this little basket box, and she sees this child, a crying baby boy, and she's the one who names him Moses because she drew him out of the water, right? 
Not only was the baby hidden in the basket, but friends, the gift and value of that baby was hidden at that time. All the other baby boys outside of that little ark were drowned and dead in the Nile River. The baby that was inside this basket was given the gift of life, and not just any life, but this baby was given the life of royalty as Pharaoh's, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter with all the riches and all the education and all the privilege that came with that position. And, and Pharaoh's daughter didn't know it at the time. Moses' mother didn't know it at the time. But God had given his people a gift, a deliverer. And here, that gift came in that little wooden box. Inside that little floating box was a baby boy who God would use by his power to deliver his people by his word, by his power. And this baby would grow into a man who would lead God's covenant people where? Out of slavery, out of the oppression of the foreign land, and into what? Into a covenant relationship with the Lord, into the land of promise for their joy, for their blessing, for their life. Inside of that little floating box was a man who would someday meet with God on Mount Sinai and bring down to God's people God's righteous and holy word written, that word by which men may live. Follow this and you will live. Don't follow this and you will die. Obviously, to be the baby inside of that little box was to be in the blessed position over the babies outside of the box that were marked for death. And again, that, that baby grew into a man who was of two worlds. He was at the heights of royalty in Egypt, a foreign people, but he was also counted among the Jewish slaves. So friends, may your Christmas boxes remind you of that crying of the little baby Moses in that tiny little ark and the gift that God was giving a deliverer, a deliverer who would bring the word of God and lead you out of slavery and oppression for your sin. I appreciate her crying because it was perfectly timed. <laughs> the third box or ark in scripture that we're going to open up this morning from scripture is also associated with Moses. It's box number three. It's the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was basically a wooden box, but it was covered in gold, and it was ordained for a very special, special purpose. God chose to give his people a very special gift. He chose to give his people the gift of his presence, the gift of his fellowship with them, and that gift came with a box. God instructed Moses that the people of Israel should, quote, construct a sanctuary for me. Why? Exodus 25, 8 tells us, that I may dwell among them. And the first thing, the very first thing that God tells the people of Israel to build for this tabernacle, where God would dwell with them in their midst, was an ark of acacia wood which was overlaid with pure gold, with molding around it, which was topped with a mercy seat of pure gold featuring two cherubim. 
And listen to what the Lord says about it in in Exodus 25, 22. God said, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. So friends, don't miss this amazing gift, that the gift was God's presence. The gift was the righteous God, holy and separate, would dwell among a sinful people, a complaining people a doubting people. And the purpose of this very special and valuable wooden box was that it was a place where God would dwell with the people, would meet with the people, would speak to the people, but don't miss the even greater gift that came with this box. It was a place, if you know your Old Testament, it was a place for the atonement of the people. Atonement, forgiveness of sins, being washed clean from your filth. What was, ask our questions, what was outside of the box? The Ark of the Covenant was placed, remember, in the part of the tabernacle that's called the Holy of Holies. And that was a very special part of the tabernacle or the temple. Why do I say that? Because no one went in there except one person, the high priest, and he could only go in there once a year. And that special day that the high priest could go into the Holy 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 of Holies, was on the Day of Atonement. If you want to read about it, read Leviticus 16. The people, the people, aside from that, they were separated. They had to stay outside. Why? Well, we know that they were separated because their sin separated them from a holy God. Anybody who went in apart from that high priest... And apart from the way that God had ordained by his word, what happened to them? They died. Remember? Even if you presented strange fire in a way that God had not ordained, what happened? They were consumed. Even the high priest, friends, if he didn't come in accordance with the word of God in purity, and with what, most importantly? With the blood of sacrifice, he too would die. So on that great day of atonement, the high priest would then sprinkle the the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat outside of the box to make atonement for the sins of the people. All right, that's what's outside of the box. Let's talk about what's inside of this box, the Ark of the Covenant. Scripture tells us that there were three things that were inside of that box. First, there was a golden pot of manna. What was manna? Manna was the bread that God had provided from heaven to his people who needed food in the wilderness where there was no food. Otherwise, they would die. The people ate that manna that God provided each morning, and they lived in a place that was not made to sustain life. And not only did they live, friends, they thrived in the wilderness. They grew in the wilderness in a place that was surrounded on all sides by death. Okay? That's the first thing. The second thing was Aaron's rod. Remember Aaron, Moses' brother? Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron, the brother of Moses, was by the word of God, that high priest I was telling you about. Out of, and remember, there's a, there's a portion in Scripture where it talks about 
there was some fighting about who would be a leader, who would be able to go into the tabernacle. And out of 12 rods for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, the Lord caused only Aaron's rod. Remember, a, a, a rod is like a staff. It's like a stick. It's a walking stick. It was dead. It was unconnected from every, any source of life. God caused that stick to bud with life. And not just life, but edible life. There was flowers. There were ripe almonds you could just pick off and, and eat. This was a sign of God's choice of the people who would be able to approach him as priests, that is, the Levites, the people of Aaron, and his choice of Aaron as the high priest. It was inside the box, and Scripture tells us why. It says, kept for a token against the rebels. The rebels who were killed because they tried to take the place of God's anointed priest. So this dead staff, made alive is inside of that box. It was a token. It was a reminder that they should heed the word of God, listen to the word of God, and be made alive from death to life so that the rebel would not die. Okay? The third thing inside of the Ark of the Covenant, you know, were the tablets upon which were written the Ten Commandments. This was the law of God by which, again, Moses declared, you... By these you will live. By these you will be blessed if you keep it, if you carry it, right? And what happened? They couldn't keep it. They couldn't carry it. Moses told them they wouldn't be able to. And it's one of those things where if you keep it with your whole heart, you'll live. But if you break it, what's the other side of it? You're cursed. You'll die. Problem is you and I can't keep that. We can't carry that. We need someone else who can in our place. Friends, May your Christmas boxes this year remind you of the Ark of the Covenant, the box that came with God's gift to his people of his presence, of his fellowship, uh, a box he provided, a place for his people where they could have atonement for their sins. It was a place where the blood of a sacrifice put to death in their place was presented, a place made upon the gift of the word of God where he gives his provision and blessing and life in our wilderness where we live marked by death. All right, so we've gone through three. We've got one more, one more gift box to open from Scripture, and it's not big like the Ark of Noah. It's not specially prepared like the Ark of Moses was specially prepared for a special purpose. It was not fine in value and craftsmanship like the Ark of the Covenant. This was a box that was not set apart in a special place that was only accessible to a few people. No, this is a box that was accessible to everybody, uh, including animals. This was not a box that was hidden in the reeds or in a sacred tent. It was just a plain wooden box. It was a very common thing. It didn't even have a lid. It was so open. It was more like a trough. It was used to feed livestock. That's our fourth box. It's the manger of Bethlehem. By the decree of God, the greatest gift God has ever given, the gift that every other gift that he gives from his hands points to, was announced as having arrived in a wooden box known as a manger. Scripture tells us plainly 
that Mary, quote, gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Think about this. Jesus was laid inside of a manger because he was outside of the inn. He was outside of any house or hospital. There was no room for the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There was no room for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There was no room for the creator and sustainer of all life. And his first bed was a feeding trough that had likely recently been used by a big, dirty, sloppy farm animal or beast of burden. An angel of the Lord, remember the announcement was made, the angel of the Lord brought the good news of great joy which shall be for all people. Who did the angel bring that news to? The lowliest of people, the shepherds who were in the fields at night doing their work. They were even on the night shift. They didn't even have the, the good spot of being on the day shift. And the angel specifically mentioned something to these shepherds. He specifically says, hey, you got to look in this box. What does he say? There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In other words, go look in the box. A Savior, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the promised Savior who would crush the head of the serpent. The Lord, he's here. He's been born. The gift is here. And you know what the sign of it is? That manger was a sign of the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, that he's inside. Let's talk about what was inside the manger box in light of all the other boxes that we've already talked about, okay? So like the Ark of Moses, let's compare that. Like the Ark of Moses, inside that manger, that little box was a baby. A baby boy who was born to deliver his people out of slavery, out of oppression, the oppression of sin and death that was all around outside that manger. And as the angel explained to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, inside that manger was a baby, a son conceived by the Holy Spirit, says this, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If you didn't know, that's what the name Jesus means. Jesus means Savior. Baby Moses was just a type. He was just like a picture of this promised baby that was coming that would be in the manger. Jesus was in the manger. Here was a baby who would not just meet with God and then bring God's word out on tablets to the people. No. Here was a baby who was God. Here was a baby who was the living word of God to mankind. Baby Jesus in that manger was the one who would actually bring God's people into an actual, true, and eternal covenant relationship with the Lord through an actual sacrifice of his own blood. Inside the manger was Jesus Christ the Lord who would lead his covenant people out of the bondage of their sin, out of the kingdom of this world that oppressed them, 
and he will save his people from their sins and the death that is the just and necessary wages of their sins by doing what? By taking that death upon himself at the cross of Calvary and offering them forgiveness. Inside this manger was the baby who would actually, in reality and in time, rise from the dead and actually lead his people out of the kingdom of a world marked for destruction and into the promised eternal and glorious kingdom of heaven where, again, there's only blessing, there's only joy, there's only life. But this one didn't stay a baby. He grew. He grew. So what was inside the manger box like the Ark of Noah? Let's talk about that. Well, like the Ark of Noah, remember, outside the manger was a world tainted by sin. Outside the manger was a world marked for God's righteous judgment. And inside the manger was a righteous man, just like the Ark of Noah. 1 John 3, 5 tells us, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Jesus is he, Scripture tells us, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Inside the manger was the one who, like Noah, had found favor with God. How do we know that? Because a voice came from heaven. Remember your, your Gospels? This was the one that God declared from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then what did he follow up with? Listen to him. Listen to him. Here in the manger, we find the one who, just like Noah, would preach and proclaim the word of God for the salvation of men from a coming judgment. Listen to him and live. Be saved from a coming judgment of the world. Do not listen to him, ignore him, mock him, and what's going to happen? Someday the door is going to be shut. Someday the rains are going to come down. But next time it won't be the rain of water, it'll be the rain of fire. And only in the favored one of God can we find the favor of God. Think about that. You can only be favored by God if you're hidden in the one who's favored by him. You can only be beloved of God if you are hidden in the one who has been declared God's beloved son. We don't read that Noah's sons and daughters-in-laws were saved from the flood because they were righteous, right? We don't read that anywhere in Scripture. Why were they saved? Those sons and those daughters, we know later, didn't act righteously. We know Noah didn't act righteously later. But they were saved from the coming judgment because they belonged to Noah. And just like Noah, you and I, we're not very righteous all the time. We've been, by, if you are a believer in Christ, by God's grace, you've been declared righteous. You've been justified. Praise him. But you and I both know we struggle with our flesh and we sin every single day. And if our salvation depended upon our righteousness, you and I are outside. But praise God, it doesn't depend upon us. Just like Noah's sons and daughters-in-laws, when we put our faith in Christ, now we belong to him. We're part of his family. They're with us. And it says in Scripture, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, 
that we might become the righteousness of God. Don't miss these last two very important words, in him. We become the righteousness of God when we are in him. Think about even the picture of the animals in the ark. See in the manger, if you look in, you see the lion of Judah. See in the manger, when you look in, you see the lamb of God will take away the sins of the world. Those animals brought into the ark for the purpose of sacrifice point to the baby in the manger who was born to die as a sacrifice for the sins of many. Well, now let's think about comparison to the Ark of the Covenant. How is the, this box, this manger, like the Ark of the Covenant? Well, you look in the manger, what do you see? You see the law of God fulfilled. There is someone in the manger who can carry and keep the law of God, who never broke the commandments of God, but perfectly kept them, who perfectly loved the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and strength. We haven't done that. And a, in the manger, you see a man who loved his neighbor as himself. We read about him in Matthew five seventeen, where Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Inside the manger was Jesus, the only one who could perfectly carry and perfectly keep Every requirement of God's law necessary, remember, by which you live by these and follow these, you will live and not die. We've broken every one and deserve death. Jesus Christ obeyed God even unto death, which he took in our place so that we might live, so that we may be made righteous in him. See in the manger also the budding rod, life from death, fruit from barrenness, because the manger held the chosen great high priest of God who would enter into and behind the veil into the presence of God in reality. The tabernacle was just a picture of all that. It was a picture of heavenly things, Hebrews tells us. But Jesus Christ actually did it. And he entered into the presence of God for this purpose, to make atonement for the sins of his people. How? With his very own blood. But also, if you look in the manger, you're going to see the manna. You're going to see the one who declared himself to be the bread of life, which came down from heaven. And friends, this is a bread that he has invited you to take and eat his body was broken for you, as we're going to talk about during the communion this morning. He is the true food that we are invited to eat and live forever. See in the manger the one whose blood is sprinkled at the mercy seat of God to offer atonement for your sins so that you may be made clean and that you may live and not die and then have perfect fellowship, perfect communion with God the New Testament tells us that Christ dwells in you if you are a believer. Think about this, that in the manger was God's only begotten Son, who is himself the blessed one, who is the light, who is life. That's all that's inside. But we have to ask the hard question of what's outside of that manger. And again, just like all the other boxes before us, we see that outside of that manger is a sin-cursed world, 
Outside the manger was darkness. Outside of the manger was death. And friends, what we have to understand and what you need to understand personally as you're hearing my voice, whether you're here live or you're listening to this later, is we're all born outside of the manger. We're all by default under the curse of sin. We are all by default, you come standard with darkness and marked for death. That is the problem of everybody, that we're all born in sin. And the prophet Isaiah, he gave the context in which, remember I read in the beginning in Isaiah 9, the context in which the son would be given, this gift unto us, this child that would be born. And it's found in verse 2 of chapter 9. It says this, The people who walk in darkness, that's us, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. So again, this is the context of the gift that was promised in Isaiah, and it's also the context of the gift that was given in the book of John where before Jesus Christ is described as the word or the living word that became flesh and dwelt among us, John chapter 1 describes Jesus Christ as life and as light. Listen to John 1 verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I want you to think about that last line. I think we can all accept that Scripture declares that Jesus is the light. But we need to understand that we're in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend this light. That's the problem. God has given a gift to you and to me, to all mankind. But most of us don't see it. Most of us don't understand it. We don't recognize the gift as being valuable. We're born into darkness, and we don't comprehend it. And John 1, verse 10, goes on to tell us that Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him. And it says, and the world did not know him. That he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. The world does not know the value of the gift of Jesus Christ. They do not see him for who he has revealed himself to be in Scripture. Therefore, they don't value Jesus Christ. They don't receive him. That's a gift that I don't want, thank you very much. They do not partake of what's inside of the box. They would rather remain outside, and therefore they are partakers of what is outside. And we're all born like that. We're all like children. Think of a child who's given a gift out of undeserved love, and they're given maybe something precious, some historical and valuable antique treasure, and say that they're given it by a great and powerful person, a king of, of the lands. But because they don't see its worth or its value or its source or its history, eh, they throw it aside, and what do they rather play with? Oh, that's a McDonald's Happy Meal toy? I'll take that. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That's what we're like. We throw aside the great value of the greatest gift imaginable to chase after junk. And friends, that's what sin, when you sin, that's what you're doing. You're saying, oh, the value of following Christ and obeying him and the gift that he is? No, 
No, this sin looks better. This sin will truly satisfy me and give me peace and comfort. And what happens when you partake of it? Oh, you find out pretty quick it's bitter to the soul. It doesn't deliver on its promises. The good news, though, friends, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's gift. God's gift of Jesus Christ may be received. It's not an impossible task. Yes, we're blind to it, but Scripture says we can receive it. That's made clear if we keep reading in John 1, verse 12. It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who, listen to this, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's all the lead-in to the word became flesh. The great message of the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed in Scripture, which the men here are faithful to preach, praise God, is that from the beginning to the end, God has called you an outsider in darkness, separated from him, to come and come to the manger, to look inside, to see his gift and his provision that he has made for you in Jesus Christ. And where do you find Christ? You find him in scriptures. It is from the beginning to the end. Jesus told you that. He's like, you search the scriptures for life, but the scriptures are those that talk about me. There you're going to read of the wonder that Jesus Christ, in his glory, condescended from heaven to share in your humanity. And Jesus Christ invites you to come in, to share in his righteousness and partake of the riches of his eternal inheritance. But, but there's more wonder here. Jesus Christ, you will read, has taken your place outside. Jesus Christ stepped outside so that you could come inside. Jesus Christ took upon himself the curse of the world that's outside of the manger box. He got out of the manger and he went up on a cross. Jesus Christ bore the penalty and wrath of the righteous judgment of God for your sin. Everything that kept you outside so that you could come inside and dwell in his presence. He laid down his life and died the death that you owe so that you may live. Why would God do this? Jesus told us himself in John chapter 3. And it's where we began, so it's where we're going to end. Verse 16, remember it. Jesus Christ is speaking here, and he's speaking of himself. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, think be outside, but have eternal life, think be inside. And he says, he goes on to say in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And friends, Jesus Christ is the ultimate gift of God. He's not only the gift that is hidden within the box. I submit to you that Jesus Christ is pictured himself as the box that we hide in. 
He's not only the righteous man that's in the ark. Jesus Christ is the ark of our salvation. Jesus Christ is not only seen in the contents of that ark of the covenant. He is seen in the ark of the covenant itself made with simple wood in his humanity, but covered with gold and fine craftsmanship in his divinity. Salvation is only and in Jesus Christ. Outside of Jesus Christ is only sin and curse and judgment and death. But inside the box and in Jesus Christ is the opposite. Righteousness, blessing, salvation, and life. So, have you received the gift that God has given. Remember that the benefit of a gift can only be acquired when it is received, when it is accepted. Again, John 1, continue in verse 12. Listen to how those who receive him act. Listen to how they're described. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those are two very important aspects that we have to talk about before we wrap up. Here in John 3, we read not only of Jesus Christ, who is the great gift of God, but how he is received. How do I receive him? And those that receive him are identified in two ways. They are those that believe in his name and those that are born of God. Now, to believe in his name is another way of saying to have true faith in the word of God. And how does faith come? Scripture tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is why your leadership is devoted to preaching the word of God and that alone. Everything else is a waste of our time, friends. Those that have true living faith can only receive it as a gift from God. It is not something you can manufacture by your work in and of yourself. Ephesians 2.8 says, for, for by grace you have been saved. Grace is a gift through faith. That's not of yourself. It is a gift of God so that nobody can boast about it. The second thing, to be born of God, means that God has to make you alive, just like he made that dead staff of Aaron bud and produce flowers and almonds. God must do a supernatural work in your heart He's the only one who can make the blind see. He's the only one who can make the dead live. Jesus wasn't doing miracles to show off his power for people. He was trying to proclaim that I'm the one who does this. That is what it means to be born again or to be born of God. He must open your blind eyes. He must quicken your dead hearts. So because he's the only one who does it, what do we do? Well, this is where we take a cue from baby Moses and baby Talia. We cry out. We cry out for him to do what we can't do. And friends, when you open up the word, you see he tells you to do that. And here's the extra special promise that his word says, his gracious promise is that all who call upon me will by no means be cast out. Think about that in light of our study. Be cast out. The promise of God is if you call upon him in faith, you won't be outside. He's going to let you in. And to be in is to be alive and blessed 
There was no room for Jesus at the end, but by his work, friends, there is room for you in his dwelling place. In his father's house are many dwelling places, and he's gone to prepare a place for his people. Would you be among them? Receive the gift of God in Jesus Christ for you. Take him. Believe him. Trust him. Seek him, and you will find him, is his promise. And if you knock, he will answer. And, you know, I hear the excuse, well, I tried that, and I knocked, and nobody answered. If you truly believed he was the only way of salvation, are you going to stop knocking? Never. You knock, and you knock, and you knock. Because the longer you knock, the more you show what you believe and you know. That there's salvation in no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's so simple, but it's meant to be simple. So as you see, as I wrap up here, as you look at the boxes stacking up on your neighborhood porches, as you wrap, as you give and receive boxes wrapped in paper and other plant material in anticipation of what's inside, Please, I want you to take a moment and direct your children to think about the boxes that are in your holy scriptures and cry out like the little baby Moses that you may be found in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of eternal life in him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we praise and thank you for your great love with which you have loved us manifested and displayed in the gift of your only begotten son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has loved his own even to death on the cross. And we ask that you would please allow us to see past all the boxes of the world has to offer, the distractions, the dainties, the things that are fading and falling away that really have no value, though we tend to put value upon them. And please give us eyes to see the gifts in the boxes that you have given us in your word. Please let us, like the shepherds, come to the manger and see Jesus Christ and receive him as king. Please let us come to the cross this morning and receive him as our sacrifice and our only hope. Please let us come to his throne this morning and receive him as Lord and King of kings. And please give us the gift of faith that we may see and may take of the great and wondrous gift you have given us that we may come inside. And no more live outside. We pray this in Jesus' name.